ask you a question. Have you ever lost hope? Have you ever lost hope? Have you ever lost hope in a relationship? Have you ever lost hope in your career or a job? Have you ever lost hope in your future or maybe even in your faith? You know that when you lose hope, you don't have vision. You don't have strength. Uh, you don't have the, the, the ability to sometimes even get out of bed in the morning or to pray or to exercise faith. It's easy to be disillusioned and just depressed and overwhelmed and to stop caring and just to have an overall lack of motivation. Uh, all of those things come at the hands of feeling a lack of hope. The Proverbs says, Proverbs uh, tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Makes the heart sick. And all those things begin to happen in our own life. But when we are full of hope, it begins to motivate us. It begins to lift our spirits. It begins to encourage us. It begins to energize us. It begins to give us purpose and it propels us to the future and to the plans that God has for us. I think we all realize that we desperately need hope. And you know, the Bible is a book of hope. The story of Christmas is a story of hope. And I want to share with you in the next few minutes how you can experience the hope of Christmas in your own life. I've called the message tonight, the thrill of hope, because God wants us to experience that thrill of hope. And listen, hope is not being delusional. Hope is not just telling yourself something over and over and over again. Hope can be something that's substantive and a reality in your life. And it comes from God. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, the Apostle Paul speaks to us about hope. And he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to share four thoughts with you. Look at number one. Hope comes from God. Do you see it? Look at that. May the God of hope. The God of hope. In other words, like God's name, God's character is tied to hope. Now, is God full of love? Yes. Is God grace? Yes. Is God truth? Yes, as God mercy, as God justice. God is, is many things, but notice that God is referred to as the God of hope. One of the ways that we know about God is, is that hope is part of his character and part of his virtue and, and who God really is. He's the God of hope. He's the God of hope. He's the God of hope. And there's always hope because there is a God of hope. Unfortunately, we put our hope in a lot of other things. We put our hope in people. We put our hope in science. We put our hope in people, uh, in friends, in so many other things other than God. But, but hope originates with the Lord. That's where it starts. Uh, if you look at verse 12 of the same chapter, Jesus is referred to as the root of Jesse, which is a cool way of saying a descendant of Jesse. Look at this uh, in verse 12. And again, Isaiah says the root of Jesse will spring up one who will arise 
to rule over the nations in him the Gentiles will hope. In other words, Jesus is our hope because he is the root of Jesse. God, God's nature is hope. He's the supplier of hope. He is the inventor of hope. Hope originates with God. God's the author of hope. When I was in college, I used to work at a gym and I would, you know, check everybody in when they would uh, arrive at the gym. I would scan everybody's cards. And during the downtime, I would read my Bible. And one morning, I was there really early. For some reason, I got the early shifts. And so I was reading my Bible one morning. I was about half, half asleep. And an older man kind of snuck up on me and he leaned over the counter and he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I said, well, I'm reading the Bible. And he said, well, I'm going to bring you something tomorrow. And he just turned around and he walked off. I thought, okay. I didn't know who he was. The next day, same man shows up. He steps right up to the counter and he hands me a book and it's got a plastic wrapper on it. And he says, I'll sign that for you if... You want me to. And I looked down and it was a study Bible. And I held up the man's card. I was like, well, who is this guy giving me a Bible? And it said, Dr. Charles Ryrie. And then I looked at the book he handed me and it said, the Ryrie Study Bible. And I put two and two together and I'm like, this dude wrote the Bible? My wife corrected me. She was like, Ryan, he didn't write the Bible. He wrote the study Bible. Yes, I understand that. Yes, he did. If you don't know what a study Bible is, a study Bible has the biblical passage on the top of the page and then it has these footnotes at the bottom that explain all the things that you don't understand about the Bible. And Dr. Ryrie had put 10,000 notes from the Old and New Testament at the bottom of the pages. This guy was an expert. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but I found out later he was one of the most influential theologians of the 20th century and he was a renowned the theological professor. He had written more than 50 books. I mean, he was the man. So I started taking all my Bible questions to Dr. Ryrie, and he always had the answer. Um, I could even quote like a verse, like a piece of a verse, and he could tell you chapter and verse where that was. I've never been around anybody like that in my entire life. It was amazing. And I was like, this guy's the author, he's the writer. He knows everything about the subject. I think when it comes to hope, we need to be reminded tonight that God is the author of hope. God wrote the book on hope. God knows everything there is to know about hope. And that's why we can come to him. That's why we can trust him. That's why we can have confidence in him because God is the God of hope. He's the God of hope. It's never too late for God to intervene. Whenever you feel tempted to give up, remember that the God of hope is the one who is always with you. And the God of hope showed up at the first Christmas. Herod is killing all the baby boys. And what happens? In the middle of the night, the angel shows up in a vision and tells Joseph, get baby Jesus and run to Egypt and run for your life. And don't come back till I tell you. There's always hope. When God enters the equation, it is never too late. Sometimes God's greatest work that he does is at the last minute when nobody expects it. By the way, we wouldn't even have the Bible if it wasn't for the God 
of hope. Think about all of the stories in scripture that wouldn't exist if there was no hope. Against all odds, would Moses have ever delivered the Israelites from Egyptian captivity? No way. Would Joshua have conquered the promised land if there was not hope? He didn't even have a skilled army. No way. How could Job continue to worship and praise God after he lost everything that he owned, including his own health, and his own family? He had hope. God is the God of hope. This Christmas season, let's be reminded that God is a God of hope. Now, I was looking at ESPN last week, and they were putting up all the NFL teams that were in contention for the playoff spots with the percentages that they were estimating that each team would get into the playoffs. By the way, the Broncos didn't make it. But I have another team that I love too, and I won't say which team it is, but they had a 3% chance of making the playoffs. I was like, okay, not looking very good, 3%. Better than the Broncos, but 3%. Last week we won, and it went up to 5%. And I was like, we're killing it, man. 5% chance for the playoff. Basically, you know, like everybody else has to lose, and then we have to win out and all that. I just started thinking to myself, I'm so glad when it comes to spiritual victories that God is not looking at the percentages. God is not looking at the odds. God is not inhibited by obstacles. God sees opportunity when we see challenges. God is not concerned with any of that. He is the God of hope. He's the God of hope, and he's the God of hope that brings peace and joy into your life. Now, see, this is the result of this. When you begin to enter into that relationship with the God of hope, peace and joy begin to be the outcome, and hope fills us with joy and with peace. And if you look at the verse in that second phrase, he says, May the, hope, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Now, many people find joy and peace in other things, possessions, people, drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. We we seek peace and joy from many other things, but real peace and joy comes from the God of hope. God is the one who's the author and the originator and the giver of, of hope and peace. And he says that you would be filled Now, isn't this beautiful that God wants you this Christmas season to be filled with peace and with joy? I mean, filled up like all the way to the max. Uh, God doesn't want to take the cup of your life and just put a sprinkle of hope. He doesn't want to take an eyedropper and put put a little dot of hope. He wants you to be filled with joy and with hope. He wants you to be filled, Uh, overflowing, he says later on in the verse, meaning that on bad days, God fills us up a little bit more on good days. He may fill us up a little bit less, but God wants us as we have that relationship with the God of hope to experience his peace and his joy and peace and joy are synonymous with the story of Christmas. I mean, just think about it at his birth. The announcement when the angels came to the shepherds, they said, uh, hey, listen, Jesus is going to be a born. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. 
Um, there was joy in his life. His teaching revolutionized the way that people thought about God. His miracles transformed people's lives. People who were blind or broken or destitute were, were, were radically transformed as Christ healed them. Uh, there was joy in his life. There was joy in his death. I mean, the book of Hebrews says it was for the joy that was set before him, meaning that Jesus was joyful when he was crucified. Now, how is that possible? I don't think it was because Jesus just loved being nailed to a cross. But I think Jesus understood that the redemption of humanity was at stake. And so Jesus was even joyful at his crucifixion and then his resurrection. You have Peter and John running to the tomb to see Jesus uh, as the tomb has been emptied and, and Jesus is no longer there and they're, they're running. They're, there's great joy. And you can't even talk about the story of Jesus without talking about joy and also peace. In fact, one of the names of Jesus is the Prince of what? The Prince of Peace. That's one of his names. Now, one of the greatest ways to get to know somebody is to know their names. And Jesus has a number of names. And one of his, one of his most loved names is the Prince of Peace. I love that name because it reminds us that Jesus is not the intern of peace. Jesus is not the rookie of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. That speaks of his seniority, of his superiority. I mean, Jesus is, is the prince. Of, he's the maestro of peace. He's the virtuoso of peace. He knows more about peace. He has more power over peace than anybody else. When Jesus was on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and there was a raging storm, he was sleeping in the bottom of the boat, but he was, he was awakened and he said, peace, be still. Because Jesus is one who calms storms. You can have a raging storm around you and when you have Christ in your life, you can still have peace. You can have peace. Peace is not about circumstance. Peace is about the Savior. And so Jesus is the one who brings peace and he brings joy. And you may be thinking, well, that's awesome. Wow, pastor, that's great that Jesus had so much peace. But could Jesus share some of that peace with me? Could I have some of that abundant peace that, that Jesus experienced here on earth? Yeah, absolutely. In John 14, 27, Jesus is giving some of his final instructions to the disciples. And he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus says, my peace is to become your peace. I'm leaving it behind. I'm not taking it to heaven with me. I am leaving my peace with you. And he said, because I am leaving my peace with you, don't let your heart be troubled. Maybe you need to hear that this holiday season. Don't let your heart be troubled. The peace of Jesus is with you. The peace of Jesus is there. In other words, Jesus wants his peace to be our peace. And that means in any situation, we can have peace because Christ is in our heart. Thirdly, hope grows through trust. So how do we connect with this peace? How do we have real hope? How can we do it? We have to trust God. 
If you're struggling today in the area of hope or peace or joy, ask yourself a question. Am I trusting God or am I doing my own thing? Look, look, look what Romans 15 says to us right here. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you, as you trust in him. Another translation says as you believe in him. But believing is trusting so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to have hope in your life, you have to trust God. You got to do it. Many times we trust ourselves more than we trust God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. See, see, a lot of times we're leaning on our own understanding. We're leaning on our own interpretation. We're leaning on our own ideologies. We're leaning on our own opinions and ideas and aspirations. Rather than asking God, God, what do you want for my life, Lord? I want to trust you today. I'm tired of, of leaning on my own understanding. The God of hope fills us when we trust in him. And trusting in God simply means that you know that God loves you, that God has the power to help you, and that God has the desire to help you. See, a lot of people believe that God's powerful, but they don't believe that his power has any connection with their own personal lives. And hope grows through trust. In fact, I love to say trust is a must. Trust is a must. If we want to have hope, we got to have trust. I, I was reading an old book um, Stephen Covey wrote. It's called The Speed of Trust. It's a, it's a business book. And kind of the big idea of the book is that businesses and organizations waste a lot of time and money because they don't trust each other. And so it slows down processes and it increases expenses, and he gives a, numerous examples of that. And he says, listen, if you want to be efficient, if you want to be effective, you've you got to trust. you got to have trust in your, in your organization. I thought, you know, that's true spiritually. My spiritual life bogs down when I'm not trusting in the Lord. It, it slows everything down. Maybe God is waiting for you to trust him, and that's why it's taken so long. What would our lives be like if, if we could really just trust God with the circumstances and the questions and the struggles of life? Why should we trust God? Well, he's trustworthy. It's part of his nature, the nature of God. Uh, Hebrews 13 describes God's nature. He says in verse 5 and 6, never will I leave you or forsake you. So God will never abandon us. That's a great reason to trust God. Now you may feel lonely, you may feel alone, but God is always there. He's always there. And we can trust him. And then verse six says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not be afraid. What mere mortals can do to me. He says, in other words, rather than fearing what people can do, we ought to remember that God is our helper. So how can I... How can I trust God? I got to remember the nature of God. 
God is trustworthy. He is my helper and he will never leave me or forsake me. Uh, The scripture also tells us that God is trustworthy because he has impeccable credentials. I mean, just think about this for a minute. Does anybody have the resume of God? Uh, Whenever we're hiring new staff members here at the church, I get resumes, you know, and we look at them and we read them and what's people's work history and what are their skill sets and what's their backgrounds and, you know, what have they done and, you know, who have they worked with? And, And we look at all those things and many of you manage people and you read resumes and you're always asking the question, what are their credentials, right? And credentials tell you a lot about somebody. The reason we trust God is he has impeccable credentials. By the way, he created the heavens and the earth. He created you. He knows every single detail about your life. He has all of the power and authority in the universe. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross and to rise from the grave. That's why he's got credentials. That's why we should trust in the Lord and not lean on our own understanding. Finally, hope overflows by the Holy Spirit. Um, He says at the end of verse 13, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, again, earlier he said that you could be filled up with joy and peace, but now he's talking about overflowing. And whenever the Bible speaks about overflowing, it does so in the context of abundance. God is saying, I want you to have an abundance of hope. I want you to have an abundance of joy. I want you to have an abundance of peace. When you trust in God, you will overflow with the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is God's divine power agent. He's he's that third part of the Trinity that empowers the people of God to do the things that we're called to do. So when the Holy Spirit is mentioned, it's synonymous with power and with strength, with capability, with, with, with what you need to do what God has called you to do. So the Holy Spirit is going to overflow in your life. You know what's beautiful? When you're overflowing with hope, guess what? You have some hope to give somebody else. When you're overflowing with peace, you have something to share with that person that's hurting. When you're overflowing with joy, it's contagious because joy is is one of those contagious things. And we began to be contagious people that are overflowing, overflowing. Uh, The Bible's talking about thriving in life. Listen, God does not want you to just limp along and get by. He wants you to overflow with peace and hope and joy as the power of the Holy Spirit works within you. That same word overflow is is a word that's used in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Luke, when it talks about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and they had all the leftovers. And if you remember the story, the disciples gathered up all the food and it overflowed. It's the same word. It means a super abundance. God wants you to have a super abundance of hope this Christmas season. And it comes as we trust in God 
And the Holy Spirit begins to flow and to overflow in our lives. Man, the Holy Spirit is supernatural. It's supernatural. Whenever the Holy Spirit's mentioned, it's not natural. We, we try to have, we try to use natural means to get supernatural results. So we desire to have hope and peace and joy and all these things, but we try to do it with our own hustle, with our own intuitions, with our own expertise and experience. We need God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to do the things that we cannot. And the next time somebody asks you how you're doing, I hope you'll tell them, I'm overflowing. Amen. Isn't that good? I'm overflowing. So what's coming out of our life? Are we overflowing with worry, with doubt, with discouragement? Or are we overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit of God? Let's trust the God of hope and let's let him change our lives. Would you pray with me for just a moment?